Father, as we come to you this morning now, having sung your word to sit under your word preached, we draw near to you, and we do so by faith, by faith in the one who can be up close in your presence, in your very holy of holies, and take us with him and us not die, because he goes there having shed his blood for those he brings. Father, we are near you, we can be near to you, and not merely safe, but we can draw near as those who know you and are known by you and treasured by you. This is not merely a matter of proximity that we have sung about this morning. This is a matter of intimate relationship. So show us yourself this morning in your word. Help us to know a little more clearly uh, all that you've done for us, uh, how far you went to get us, and our great need and all that we have through Jesus by faith. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, take a copy of God's word, uh, either yours or the one in front of you, and open up to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter 12. It'll be page eight in the Bible provided for you in the pew there, if you don't have one. And before we get into the text, uh, some good news I bring to you on behalf of the elders uh, we've united around uh, Dan Kruver as our minister to students and families. This is exciting. Dan has been uh, a part-time director of college ministry for just about the last year. And through some prayer and conversations, it has become apparent that this is God's wonderful purpose for us. And we're thrilled about this. And I'm thrilled about this. Dan is a Bible man. When you spend time with Dan, you end up talking about the Bible Love my time with Dan. He's also a family man. If you're not talking about the Bible, you might end up talking about family. And it's so kind of God to provide for us leaders, and in particular, this leader at this time. So there's some information about some get-to-know-yous and some uh, moments ahead in this process uh, in, the, in the calendar that you got in the Life of Body email. But we can give thanks to God for providing an answer to our prayers, and thank you for praying. Now to the Bible where I meet a different family man. All of my Abraham jokes are used up. Thank you, Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 through 9 is our text for this morning. Let's read together. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name Great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, as the Lord told him, and Lot with him. Abraham was, Abraham, excuse me, was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place called Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. 
Well, I can plot the story of my life, as you may be able to yours, uh, through a series of, of moves. Uh, there was born in Columbus, and then Toledo, and then Chicago, California, St. Louis, uh, Louisville, Albuquerque, and I pray we're done for a while. Most years I can claim a championship team, by the way either baseball, football, or basketball, someone is winning in one of the states I have lived in, and I unashamedly claim, claim the team. Well, Danny and Kristen recently added a move to their story and to the story of our church. Some moves are expected, some moves are unexpected, some moves are hard, some moves are happy. Most have a clear reason and a clear destination, usually a good bit of pain involved, Well, the Bible's story can be plotted along a series of of moves, a move into the garden. This one is easy to miss. God makes Adam out there, and then he places him in the garden. That's a happy move. God makes a wife for him there. And there's a move out of the garden. That's not a happy move. This is a move east of Eden because of, of sin. He can no longer be in the presence of God. There was a move into a boat. Of course, when the earth was filled with violence, Noah moved into the boat, and and that boat moved up as the waters rose and crested, and the boat moved down, and Noah moved out with his family. At least a plan to move into the Tower of Babel, a great plan for a great tower for a great name for humankind, but that was frustrated by God, so God moved them out when he confused their languages. Well, today brings us to another move, and this one is a big move. This is a big moving day. In fact, Genesis 1 through 11 has been preparing us for this very moment. It has been a setup. It has been background for this introduction and this move. And starting right here with chapter 12, the story of Genesis narrows to this man and his family, and it slows way down. Whereas we have chased generations on generations, even hundreds of years in the course of a chapter, now we will follow just a few generations in the rest of the book, some 38 chapters. Well, this moving day would have felt familiar to the original readers. The Israelites were on the move out of Egypt and into the promised land, and today's story is the background for their own massive, dramatic, and indeed at times traumatic migration. There were uncertain things ahead, and yet there were some certain things that they could bank on. Their hard move would be a happy move. And this movie, this moving day is familiar to us as well. Abram was called out of Ur, out of darkness, and so you and I, if we're Christians today, so have we been called out of darkness. And that may have involved some hard things, but nevertheless, it is a happy, happy move. And having been called, we are always on the move, which is why we need the Abram story. Abram will get a different name later. Abraham will get there in the unfolding of the book of Genesis. But Hebrews 11, 8 will speak this way to us by faith. Abraham obeyed when he was called out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going by faith. He went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. 
And so we are on that journey with Abraham as well. And this is our story, story of origins as well. God is telling Israel where they came from and he is telling us where we came from and he is showing Israel how to live in relationship with him in obedience from faith and how that relationship comes about in the first place. And he is showing us the same. In a sentence, God's blessing will come through God's promise to one man and that, man, that promise transforms our very lives. I don't care if you remember the outline most of the time. They're just tracks for us to run on in the course of drinking on God's word. Leave the room, forget the outline. I pray that God's word isn't forgotten, that the impression that his makes is left, even as it is forgotten with the days ahead. But this is an outline perhaps you would scratch in your Bible. This, this little section of verses 1 through 9 is something like a template for the Christian life. It's the reason why these verses will be referred to over and again in the, the New Testament, not merely to explain how we come to know the Lord by faith, but how we live unto the Lord by faith. By faith. So let's do more than watch Abraham this morning. Let's join Abraham this morning by first listening to God's promises and then living by God's promises. Listening to his promises and then living, living by them. And may the Spirit strengthen us to obey God's word by believing his promises this morning through Jesus Christ. So first listening to God's promises, verses 1 through 3. Let's, let's listen to those promises again. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, there's the call, and your kindred in your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, before we get into these promises, I want us to talk about promises, specifically promises in the Old Testament for a few minutes. I want to address promises in two ways, and this will be some foundation work that we'll draw on in the course of our work through Genesis. I won't get this whole little kit out again, um, but I'll refer to it. I pray it's helpful to you. I'll reflect on promises in the Old Testament in two ways. First, how to hear them, how to hear promises, and then, and then what to do with promises, so how to hear them. Folks, we're really bad at hearing promises in the Old Testament. Um, we get it right often enough, but we are hit or miss with Old Testament promises, and that is owing perhaps to a, a lot of things, no doubt, kitchen calendars, uh, um, little promise pocketbooks. I looked up a promise pocketbook. This collection of Bible verses is meant for use as a handy reference when you need the Bible's guidance on a particular problem in your life. And so, like, in an instant, you've got a promise and ripped right out of context as though you'd watch a movie or read a book and just snap lines from one side of the story to another and collect them in a, in a list and then live by them. We don't do that with any other, any other book. We do that with the Bible. It's not that verses on their own, promises on their own are not useful for us. It's just simply that they always come to us in a particular context, as we'll explore we tend either to draw a straight line from that promise to ourself in our specific circumstance, or perhaps we draw no line to ourselves at all. Maybe we 
on the, in, in a reaction to, to cheesy and cheap use of the Bible, we, we treat it merely as an academic exercise, something to be understood but not to be owned. And we do damage to the word or we find ourselves discouraged by the word when these promises are not fulfilled as if God has not kept his word to us or perhaps not in the way we expected Well, how shall we listen to the promises in the Old Testament? Is it like a a fill in the blank so God promised something to Abraham and we get that? Or is it like a blank where you can fill that in with with what you've been praying about or what has uh, been impressed upon you in the course of prayer or conversation or, or dreaming? Well, in a sentence, we want to hear all of God's promises in their context. And it's by doing so that these promises will take on depth and richness, and reach. Three contexts, to be specific, that I'd like to offer you. Every Bible passage has, certainly every promise. Three contexts based on the nature of Scripture. What Scripture is and what it is like decides how we read the Bible. First, every text has an immediate context. The book is a book of words. And it comes to us with sentences and paragraphs and whole sections and books. And the immediate context involves the flow of those words, how they they come to us and the the historical context that surrounds the words in which they were written, the author and its original readers and how they would have understood it and what that original author's aim was. Here we have a promise, for example, of, of land and and descendants and a great name and of of blessing. What did that mean in its immediate context and in and to the first readers? I'll refer from time to time to how Israel would have heard this. That's as significant. But it's not enough. Second, every text has what we'll call an unfolding context. So there's an immediate context, the words on the page right there in the context of paragraphs and sections and books. And, but every Bible passage also has what we'll call an unfolding context. Now, follow me here. The nature of the Bible. The Bible was not dropped down to us in a moment as a complete book detached from history. The Bible itself comes to us over time. One part after another after another. The Bible is itself God's interpretive preached record of his own acts in history. Acts in history that happened before other acts, before other acts. In history, it is not that the acts themselves are the word and then the Bible written is uh, is an interpretation of them. Merely, the Bible itself is a revelation to the word, God's word. And the Bible has an unfolding context because it's given to us over time. So parts need to be read, read in front of each other. The promise of land, as we look back, we consider that the whole earth is the Lord's and that he gave the whole thing to humanity. But having been booted out of it, it is not under our feet. We're not exercising dominion as we, as we ought. But here is God's plan. Uh, better than his plan through Noah, whose purpose in that story was to show us how great our need actually was. There was no hope in humanity, even with a complete restart. No, he's going to do something new here through Abraham. And it's going to involve some land. And don't think that God is the God of a of a small plot in the, the Middle East. This is bigger than, than that, as we'll see in a moment. 
The land looks back to Eden, descendants. God, every human being is the Lord's and God made humanity as a people for himself. But, but now through one man, God's promises are focused and from that one man will come a people. And the blessing we see here repeated five times. Blessing, let us not miss that. What did God do after he made Adam and Eve? But he blessed them. That was the climax of his creation with some other features there. God's purpose in creating us is to lavish his blessing upon us. And we reject it and we are banished from his presence, excluded from his blessing. And here he is again. He arrives in Ur with a word to a man who was not looking for him with a five-fold promise of blessing. In fact, if you count the number of blessings, not just the word blessing, you get seven. Here is another expression of God's perfect and beautiful and complete purposes to bless his people, to make a people, and so to bless them. Each of these things, these, this land, descendants, and blessing, these features within this promise that will be picked up in the story to come, go backwards. And yet so much hasn't happened yet. So third, every text also has a whole Bible context. You have to read every Bible passage in light of the, the whole Bible. We believe that every text has a human author, but that the divine author stands behind them. They're not in competition. It's not like the human author is doing one thing and God's doing another. The human author doesn't know all of what's going on. The prophets searched and inquired carefully to see what would, how their promises would come to fulfillment. And, um, and they didn't know, but the Lord stands behind it, and he's weaving together a story in the same way you read a novel or watch a movie. And, and things that happen here make more sense there because an author stands behind the whole thing. So to read any Bible passage, we have to look at its immediate context. We do that work. We have to look at its unfolding context, looking at what came before. We also have to look at the whole Bible context. And these promises, these promises as the Bible unfolds, will not leave us. In fact, the whole Bible will move out from here. This is the agenda for the rest of Scripture, how God will bring about his blessing for humanity through a man and his family. It all goes through Abraham. And there will be a place in the end time, in the end day, in the final age, a whole new creation, in fact. And there will be descendants there, everyone a child of Abraham, God's people with God forever. Every text has an immediate, an unfolding, and a whole Bible context. And those, those three contexts are based on what Scripture actually is. And each of them is crucial. Skip the immediate context and you have a fake Bible divorced from history. My job as a preacher is to preach to you what it means for you through the three contexts. And I can't leave the first one. I can't um, leave the first one because it's so ancient and so old. We start there. If we skip the unfolding context, then we have a flat Bible where every part of the Bible, we read it as applying to us in the same, in the same way. What about that line about God cursing those who curse Abraham? How does that apply to us? Skip the whole Bible context and you have a foggy or fragmented Bible you can't see the whole through the parts and you feel lost and you miss the point. Well, every sermon should do all these things. God gave us teachers for a reason and it's my great 
blessing as with others to set aside time to, to give attention to these things. So don't stress out if in your own daily Bible reading, all of these things aren't so plain. Just keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. Bible reading and Bible knowledge as knowing the Lord is, is a whole life effort. But this will help you listen to sermons. It will also help you hear the book of Genesis on its own terms. Well, that's a word on how to hear promises. Now, what to do with them? Brothers and sisters, once we understand what the Bible is saying, let us believe them. If you look here, you have a command to go to Abraham, but then you have a block of promises, a lot of them, seven of them actually, as we've said, which means apparently you and I need promises. Abram needed promises. So don't feel ever like obedience on the basis of promises that are for your good isn't somehow less glorifying to God. No, it's in believing God's promises that we show him faithful. And that's precisely how he has designed us to obey him, to believe his word and to believe his promises. If you're obeying from faith in the promises of a faithful God, then you're glorifying his faithfulness in your belief and obedience. In fact, to obey apart from faith is, is sin. It has been said that obedience is like a rocket. Think about what God is calling Abram to do. Like a giant rocket. How do we get this thing off the ground? Well, promises are the fuel. Promises are the power. And faith, faith is the ignition. Scraps of lawn on fire will not lift the rocket. And you cannot live in obedience to the Lord apart from his promises. And you won't do it from raw will. You must have faith in his word. And that's why I say that today's passage, although the Abraham story will teach us more, today's passage is something like a template for the whole of the Christian life. Well, having considered how to listen to promises now, let's get listening, shall we? Let's get listening. Listening means more than repeating them together, but pondering them together. These are big, big promises, big in what they're asking Abram to leave behind and big in what they are promising Abraham when he does so. Abram, you are going to be the most important person in the world. You will have to leave your family and your kindred and your father's house. Big promises. Calling us, calling him to leave behind his whole life. And these are bare promises. Get this, Abraham was told go and then he was told he would be told where he was to go later. Go to the land I will show you. That's not very specific. I'm not moving unless I know where I'm going. My wife would not have appreciated that promise very much. She likes a plan. Most of us would appreciate at least some more detail here. When you move across the country, you usually have a target, a, a place that you're, you're headed. I recently met some folks who moved to town, and um, they said you know, they were living in one part of the country because they were caring for some family, and then, and then as some family had passed, it occurred to them that this wasn't home for them, and they had moved here to care for family. So where would they go? And they got out a map on the kitchen table and went like that, and then they moved to Charleston. And then when they got to Charleston, they realized that that's probably not going to work, so they moved to Greenville. I've never heard anything like that. 
We usually know where we're headed. Abram did not have Zillow. He did not have Google Street View to check the place out. He did not know where he was going, except that the Lord would show him the land to to which he was leading him. Derek Kidner writes, Abram must exchange the known for the unknown. He must find his reward in what he could not live to see, a great nation, in what was intangible, a great name, and in what he would impart, a blessing. And as Calvin puts it, I command you to go forth with closed eyes, it is as if God says, and forbid you to inquire where I am about to lead you until, having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly to me. Is that not the call to discipleship? Abram is our forerunner. These promises were bare. They were also personal. He makes them personally to Abram. He comes to a person by name, and Jesus calls his sheep by name. But they don't concern Abram only. They have global reach. All of the families of the earth will be blessed through him. And these promises of God are also certain. The only thing certain about humanity to this point in the story is that there's no promise in humanity. That's the point of 1 through 11. If there is to be any promise for humanity, it will have to come from God alone. And in these promises, we have our answer. There is promise for humanity because we have these promises from God. These personal promises to this one man in Ur, but promises with global reach. God's global purposes will be routed through a man. Many questions remain, which we will not resolve this morning. How God will keep these at the moment is not certain, even for the first Israelite hearers, was not certain at the time. How will he keep them given human sin? How will blessing get to the nations? And how does the nation's blessing relate with the blessing of Abram? How will they relate to Abram's obedience? Abram is called to go. There will be testing that goes on. Are these promises conditional upon Abram's obedience? Or are they unconditional? Are they both? And how? Whose children are Abram's children? By the time he arrives in Canaan, in our own text, he's collected some people. He's been preaching and speaking about where he's going, and some have joined him. Uh, They're not his biological line, so who are they, and how do they relate with this promise? Much of that, to the point, is not certain, but what is certain is God's commitment to bless humanity. He's going to get it done. But not all of humanity, by the way. Even in this beautiful promise, it is easy to miss that some will be, some will be cursed. Know where you are in relationship to Abraham, friend. These promises are also ironic. In the last chapter, remember humanity gathered together as if the story of the great flood wasn't enough. The humanity gathered together to build a tower into the heavens to make a great name for themselves. As if they were trying to get a little bit higher than the floods had gone and beat God or something. No such thing. God confused their languages in a moment and he spread them out throughout the whole earth. But here, he promises to make this one man's name great. 
But even within the promise, there is the promise that those who curse him will be cursed. And so as we move forward in the story that all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed is not a promise that every last person on the earth will be blessed. Oh no, one will have to have a proper relationship to this one man and to his offspring and the blessing that comes alone through him. That's a bit on the rocket, the go, and the jet fuel, rocket fuel, the promises. Now, let's watch it ignite on the page and in the life of this man, living by God's promises, verses 4 through 4 through 9. I'd like to read these again for us. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place called Shechem, to the oak of Morah. In the time, at the time of the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. There it is. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And Bethel was the west, an Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Well, the first three verses, the call and the promises are memorable and familiar if you have been in church long enough or read through this story of Genesis. But in studying this week, I realized something about this passage. I had filed verses 4 through 9 away along with memories of a cross-country drive. I didn't forget it entirely, but had not set my mind to it. There were other things more interesting on the other side. Abram is not settled. He's moving. There are some places named. He, he goes to church, if you will. He travels through some towns. Nothing terribly memorable or useful here. In my telling of the story, in my mind, it would be Abram went, and then you've got Abraham messing up in about a chapter later, and we'll get there. I got that part. But the detail in these verses was not so sticky to my own memory, but I want it to stick today for you. This is Abram at his best. This is Abram offering for us a model of a life of faith. I recently was at a grocery store. I've never done this before. I promise I've never. It's okay if you've done it. But I was in the checkout line. It's probably because I don't grocery, grocery shop very much, actually. I was in the checkout line, and I bought a magazine. Uh, so there was some garden stuff going on there, and there's some other things you've got to move your eyes from. And then there was Michael Jordan, 35 years of greatness. Like, well, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I, I grabbed it. And uh, see, I mentioned Chicago, so I grabbed it. I'm thumbing through. And uh, it, was a, it was a compilation of articles from, that were published in Newsweek from across his career. And eh, to this point, when I see a magazine, I thought, I got the internet. Eh, There's too much on the internet. 
This is great. All in one spot. I'm buying it for my son. (laughs) So it was $12. I looked at the price and then I thought, I go, no, I'm not going to do this again. So you can hold me accountable. That was That was maybe not terribly responsible, but he has read the book. Who is the goat? The greatest of all time. That's a, that's a debate, right? Well, Abraham ain't the goat. Jesus is the goat. Abraham though was faithful. Abraham believed and Abraham obeyed in some pretty incredible ways. We're tempted either to make Abraham the best the greatest of all time, maybe in our imagination, or to say, nope, he failed like everybody else. But the page of scripture doesn't quite let us get away with the one or the other. Abraham offered to us an example of faith, and it is beautiful. And it is offered up for us today. In a future week, we'll talk about that faith as it concerns salvation. But consider that faith isn't even mentioned here as a word. It is in the New Testament to interpret how he obeyed. We have a string of action verbs from verse 4 to verse 9. Action, action, action. So friends, let our lives be filled with action verbs in obedience to Jesus and his word. And let us watch his life of faith on the page now. The life of faith is a life that lets go. It's a life that lets go. Abram had a lot to leave behind. Country and kindred and a father's house. God did not come to a man with no roots because it would be easier for him. Abram had roots. He had a family, a country, and a people. He had a life. Let it all go. Sound familiar? For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Or again, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loses son and daughter, loves son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. Oh, I can relate with that. This is the call that Jesus lays before us. Abram went. And so we have had radical conversions, friends. If God has saved you, come to you with his powerful word, and you have believed as Ben believed in Salt Lake City, as we've heard and rejoiced over this morning, there has been a going and a leaving, even if there is no change of address. Oh, there is a change of address. Go, Abram, and he went. A call to faith in God's promises. So where should you go? I don't know. For you personally, on the earth, Don't worry about that as much, but know this, if you belong to Jesus, you may not leave home, but you are no longer at home here. And if you belong to Jesus, wherever you are and wherever you go, you are never actually home until you are with him face to face. And I promise you, you will get there. So are you at home this morning? Are you comfortable here on this earth? Are your are your thoughts and your dreams and your, your aims earthbound? Are they all here under the sun? That should not be a comfortable thought for you. Oh, but, but God came to Abram, and in the preached word this morning, he comes to you with a call to believe. A call to obey, yes, but a call first to believe to have faith in the promise of God. 
in the true son of Abraham, Jesus Christ, who is believed perfectly in your stead. The life of faith lets go. And that's one way that you know when you have been converted is that you have let go of some things. Maybe you've let go of a lot. Maybe you're willing to let go of it all. That is an uncomfortable place to be in here, but that is a beautifully, eternally, eternally comfortable place to be in truth. The life of faith lets go. The life of faith looks ahead to go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And we know from Scripture that he looked through the land to all that God would do, for he was not a mere tribal or geographically narrow deity, but indeed a whole city whose maker and builder is God, a new country, a heavenly country await him. But even for Abram, these these word came as promises of future fulfillment. I will, I will, I will. The stuff wasn't here yet. It was all future. There's still a lot future for us too. He says to Abraham, I'll give you this land to your offspring. He wasn't going to see it. He was making his way from top to bottom, marking it out. But he wouldn't even see it, but his offspring would forward-looking, the life of faith looks ahead. The life of faith lives in a world of trouble. You're not getting away from trouble. If every other page in the Bible has not convinced you to reject the really bad idea that becoming a Christian, following Jesus, means that your troubles go away, then let this page do it. Abram was promised so many great things, but when he entered the land, it wasn't that great. This is easy to miss. He found at least two things there. Don't miss them. Verse 5, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Great. The Canaanites. Blast. This is not just a proposed neighborhood. This is an old neighborhood. This is not a good old neighborhood. This is a bad neighborhood. Descendants of Shem cursed. Yes, promised there would be conflict and they'd serve the other. So remember from a few weeks ago. But trouble. People lived there and they bite. And they don't know they're going to have to move out. And it's not going to be easy. Opponents, in addition to opponents that are there, you've got alternatives, alternative gods. That's what this tree is all about. This would have been a place of gathering for fortune telling as fortune tellers listened to the rustling of the leaves and interpreted them for people and people put their hope in the false words and false promises and false gods that were worshipped at this place. Abram left one place in the shadow of a ziggurat a temple where other gods were worshipped, where below you had tombs, where princesses and kings were buried with false vacuous promises of an afterlife and around them the skeletons we have found of their servants and all kinds of artifacts and gold and possessions. They did not carry them with them. Abram left this place in Ur with all of its religion 
and its temples and its tombs, but he will find himself in Canaan with the whole other set. It will have to be renovated. It will have to be evacuated. There is pressure that comes, a press that comes in the world from oppressors. And there is a pull that comes from alternative gods. And friend, is that not a nice way to sum up all the trouble that we know? Trouble from oppressors. Temptation from the pull of the world and its other gods and its other promises. Abram would find all of that there. The life of faith lets go. It looks ahead. It lives in the world with all of its trouble. And you know that trouble. And I know that trouble. And this is a part of the journey from here until the day when we meet Jesus. The life of faith also leaves a legacy. What kind? Well, let's see what Abram left behind. Let's see what he decided to build. Any structures to his name? Any libraries? He knew he'd be famous. He had plenty of reason, resources. What did he choose to live in? Tents. He'd set up a tent. Then he'd take it down and he'd set it up. No structures to his name. What did he build in his trek through the land? Nothing to his own name. Two altars here to God's name. What did he busy himself for with these little structures, these altars? Well, he was busying himself with the worship of the Lord in this land, if you will, planting a flag for the Lord, banking his hope on the promises, as sure as done. Friend, don't look around you and decide whether or not God's promises are true. First, understand the nature of the promises of God in their context so that you long for a new creation and are not disappointed with life in this world, which is going to be disappointing if it were the sum of God's promises. But once you have understood God's promises, having heard them appropriately, believe them. Believe they're coming and worship the Lord in a land filled with trouble. Keep coming on Sunday morning and leave to worship him with your life. He worshiped the Lord in that land. That's what these little structures that he built were for. But not just that. In Bethel, it says he called upon the name of the Lord. Better translated, proclaimed the name of the Lord out loud for all to hear. The locals would have heard this, would have heard of this. Certainly all those who traveled with him would have heard Abram proclaiming the name of the Lord. He was a serious follower of God, a serious follower of God's word, a serious claimer of his promises. So brothers and sisters, friends, we have met Abram this morning. What is your relationship to him? Galatians 3, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, remember the before and after, 
He didn't know all that and how it would work. Seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What is your relationship to Abraham? His true seed, the true offspring of Abraham is Christ. And the promise by faith in Jesus Christ is given to those who believe in him. Find yourself tethered to Jesus. Maybe you haven't heard the name Abraham before, heard this story and thought, well, I've believed in Jesus. You're saying, Trent, that I have to go through Abraham. You already have. If you believe in Jesus' righteous life and you have faith alone in him and aren't counting on your own righteousness and works for acceptance before God and hope for heaven, then you already have. Congratulations, you have come through Abraham and you're blessed in him. What's your relationship to him? I pray it's one of faith. Well, some of you know God, but you do not obey him. And you do not obey him Maybe because you have not known his promises. You have not properly tended to his promises. Or maybe you believe them wrongly, cheaply, smallly. Know his promises this morning. Listen for them. Hear them aright and lay hold of them. That's what Ben Moody will need to do in Salt Lake City from here out. Lay hold of the promises of God and believe them by faith and he'll find himself obeying instinctively, reflexively, going out as Abram went out because he believed the promises of God. And some of you who know him do not obey him because you do not believe his promises. Struggling with obedience? Pick your area you know yourself. Struggling to obey God? That is a struggle of faith. It is a struggle to believe the word of God. It is a struggle to lay hold of and trust that his promises are actually true. And here in the story of Abram, in these first nine verses, oh, his story will get more complicated, but here it is not. God has given a command. He has given promises as jet fuel. And Abram has believed them and ignited by faith. He has gone out at great cost. He has left behind family and he has gone in obedience to the Lord. So friends, what are you holding on to here? What are you looking forward to? What are you struggling against? The Christian life is not a life free from trouble or temptation, but a life fighting. And what are you leaving behind? Let's meet again to worship the Lord next Sunday. To learn from the life of Abraham to put our ear down to Scripture to hear what God might tell us. Chapters 12 through 25 will be the story of Abraham. We'll be in it for a number of weeks. I'm eager to do this with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these promises that we've read on the page of Scripture, these personal promises to this this individual But we thank you that even in your promise to him, you have told us how you have hinted at how they come over to us and that your purpose to bless will happen. And that through faith in Jesus, the true son of Abraham, as scripture says, we can know that blessing. And father, as those who share the faith of Abraham, 
who believe your promises. We give you thanks this day that we have much clearer promises than Abram received. We have even better promises, fuller promises. We even know the fulfillment of them to a wonderful extent. And yet as we struggle in this world against troubles of various kinds, Father, use this little section of scripture and use the book of Genesis as we study it together to power our Christian life of faith so that you may be pleased and so that we may be blessed. It's in Christ's name we pray.